Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffitt, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, it is Friday, end of the week, and that means we end it with a bang, a poke, a prod. No, we end it with all good stuff, don't we, Dr. Jasek? That's right. It's like, who do I get to poke? Yeah, well, <laughs> we're going to poke the industry that we love to poke. And that's going to be the kibble industry. We always love to poke them. You know, I was reading um, I was reading in petfoodindustry.com where they were talking about the FDA's DCM probe starts with a roar and ends with a whimper. I thought that was hilarious the way that they put that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. You know, they said that their investigation started petering out about uh, 2020. And then they were talking about um, they in this article in pet food industry, it says at the time I and others speculated that this petering out, what he's talking about was because the investigation was essentially leading nowhere. And this theory seemed proven when in November of 2020, the FDA issued a rather curious announcement that the investigation had reached an inflection point, but the announcement was not an update. And so they basically said that um, it's nothing burger, right? And how many nothing burgers have we heard about, right? So, um, and we're talking about guys, this whole uh, possible link to grain-free pet food and dilated cardiomyopathy. And so they never could really make this connection. But again, Dr. Jasek, I always say where there is a blur and nonsensical stuff, let's go back to big pharma, right? So what could, what have we learned in the last couple of years that could be causing DCM? Come on, people. I don't need to say it, do I? A little right. poke, a little poke, a little poke. Did that cause some DCM? And that, that you know, I got to wonder. Um, I heard about this weekend, um, some friends of ours had a child who just was having seizures and, and a 20-year-old died uh, in his oh, sleep geez. this uh, last couple of weeks. And, you know, there's a lot of deaths that we simply are not hearing about, Dr. Jacek, on the human side very frightening to me. Yeah. It it's it's very very frightening and just you know people going to bed and not waking up like I mean that that's just really scary and you know I hope hopefully more and more people it's helping more and more people to connect the the dots on what's going on in the you know on the human side. I mean, you know, young athletes don't draw dead on the field i mean rarely you know has that happened in the past and now it's happening all the time and like come on what's new in the last two years like hello i mean they can poo poo the 
or, you know, come up with, come up with other reasons and, and say, oh, people saying that's, you know, because of the COVID jab, that's all conspiracy and all that stuff. But I think we need to be taking a, you know, just, just connect the dots, do it via observation. You know, what are, what are you seeing? What's new? What's new on the, um, you know, in human medicine that could have caused this big shift. It, it's a no brainer to me. It's just like when I look at my patients, my pet patients and, you know, okay, we got a new cancer diagnosis or, you know, autoimmune disease within a couple months of, of uh, a round of vaccines. Is that the only issue? No, because not all dogs that get vaccines get these conditions, but it definitely becomes the the tipping point. And I think that's getting scarier and scarier because they're coming out with newer and newer vaccines and mRNA vaccines. And um, I, you know, I'm doing telemedicine now, so not actively, you know, uh, seeing pets in person, but should I ever do that again? I, I just don't think I'd recommend any vaccines. I just say, you know, don't do, I mean, I always honor people's choices, but um, I think people really need to be looking at, at alternatives such as no sods and, and, you know, just not doing it, find other ways, find people that will take care of your pet without, you know, needing current vaccines. And maybe you don't get to travel as much with your pet if you'd like to take your pet on an airplane. But I, I think, I think vaccines are going to become a lot more dangerous in pets. You know, they're already talking about, well, you know, pets are, you know, what using too much carbon or whatever they said need smaller pets. People need to have snails and not dogs, you know, or you know, feed your dogs crickets or something like that. You know, they're they're coming after the pets. And, you know, so and and I think I think part of the way they're going to do it is through these vaccines. And that is really scary. And it's not just reactions that we can in a lot of times treat. Um I think we're going to start to see more pet, more pet death, uh, unexplained pet death. I really do I think it's going to go the same way as it is with people. Of course, of course, and they and they have to deflect uh, and redirect your attention someplace else, right? We cannot have it um, where it's going to cause a drop in sales either with their food or either with their vaccines. And I was looking at another report that came out and it was it was talking about that they found in 2021 um you in the UK mycotoxins in pet food and the that those mycotoxins um caused a lot of cat diseased uh disease and they called it feline pansoti uh pancytopenia, pancytopenia. Mm -hmm. And it killed more than 350 cats in the UK. Um, but what this uh, was, was this diet, the, the kibble diets that were associated with this panso, pancytopenia outbreak in the cats were from foods that all contained potato flakes. Um, and they were uh, in these recalled cat food samples. And what happened was they had um, high levels of mycotoxins and it caused, what is this? Uh, they, they were talking about um, where it affected the, the red blood cells. So um, let's see, how does this work? Let me just read this right. So it, it feline 
pancytopenia. It's a condition when the number of red blood cells rapidly decreases, causing serious illness. So they this came out of a brand that was a hypoallergenic cat food. Um, mm. And uh, it was from Fold Hills Foods. I mean, there's a gazillion of them out there. But anyway, yeah, mycotoxins, which you're not going to find mycotoxins in raw food. And people still freak out about raw food. But yeah, 2021, that not that long ago, wow. folks. And wow. so you would think that, that they would come up with um, better ways to, uh, you know, create food, but it's crazy. They just try to put all types of crap together to shove it down your pet's throat. Yeah. You know, what's you know, what's really interesting about that. So feline panleukopenia has traditionally been known as feline distemper caused by a virus, you know? So some of the stuff you know, like you and I have been following Tom Cowan, who says viruses don't exist. None of them do. There's another reason why pets are showing up with symptoms or people, what, whatever the, the symptoms are not caused by viruses. So isn't this interesting? They're basically diagnosing the same syndrome that has been um, attributed to the feline distemper virus caused by the food. Now, isn't that interesting? How many now of our so-called viruses that we treat in pets are actually toxicity from the diets? And that would explain, you know, why so many of these, uh, these um, conditions take hold because there's so many of these foods out there. I mean, isn't that, that's really scary to think that, that so much of what we've been seeing is not viruses and not these diseases, but actually food toxicity. Isn't that, isn't that sad? Yeah, it's incredibly sad. And I think what else is sad is that you can have a good food on the market and then someone like Mars comes in or, um, or Nestle's or Perina or whomever, and they buy that company and they're going to turn it to crap. And what I'm talking about just happened January, 2022, Mars Pet, pet Care acquired Nom Nom Fresh Delivered Pet Food. So it was formerly called Nom Nom Now. You know, they marketed it as uh, being put together by a vet and they did well. I don't know. Um, let me see if I can figure out what the numbers are here, but it, you know, the, it, remember we were talking about all they have to do is come in and buy that company, um, buy that company, change it. And then, you know, we don't have that information that we're trying to get out, out there, right. It's got to be changed. Um, or they're going to, they're just going to, um, skew the lines here. Right. So they they talked about, let's see, what did they say? Uh, so Mars Pet Care says that this nom nom, the fresh category, is going to complement their existing portfolio. I'm like, yeah, because your existing portfolio is crap. Right. Mm -hmm. So nom nom now is now a member of the Royal Keenan division, you know, and oh, I have, geez. yeah, right. And, um, it, you know, what makes me mad about this, Dr. Jasek is that how long have we had the vets poo-pooing any kind of fresh food, right? 
And now they're going to bring this fresh fresh food into their brand. Yeah, that that uh, Mars Pet Care, they have 50 pet food brands. So they are constantly looking to diversify their revenue stream. Um, and they're mainly in the specialty veterinary care clinics like Banfield and BCA. But their annual revenue, Mars Pet Care, is $18 billion in 2022. What do you think that they're going to do with this kind of food? They're going to run it. Run it, run it to the ground. And they'll probably, I mean, I don't know. I'm so, I'm so suspicious of what these, you know, companies are up to. You know, they could make a move like this to discredit fresh food. You know, they could say, oh, well, we got this fresh food line and started studying it and, you know, found that pets actually do better on our kibble because, you know, it's cheaper for them to produce that. I could see them, you know, doing that or they just want the market share. You know, they can see in some ways this is a good sign that, they see that, you know, more and more consumers are wanting fresh food options. So they want to jump on that bandwagon, but you know, they're, it's not going to be good quality. It can guarantee, guarantee that, that it's, they're going to, they're going to ruin the quality. They're going to put the same crappy ingredients in this quote unquote fresh food that's in their kibble and their canned and all these other products. And, and they're just going to call it fresh food, but they're going to start to hide th these ingredients. They'll put cheap fillers and, and other things in there. And, and, you know, Mars, they own Banfield and they own Blue Pearl. They own the corporate clinics too. They, they have a monopoly. I mean, this, they, sh this should be like an antitrust violation. They have such a monopoly on the veterinary profession because they, they own these food companies. They own the clinics. They're they're sure they're probably invested in the pharmaceutical companies at some point. You know, it's it's really a a you know conglomerate. I mean, what a what a sweet setup. They buy this food company and then require the vets that work in their clinics to sell it. I mean, what could go wrong there? You know, it's all it's all about the money. One of the brands that we both like or did like or it was decent uh zwe peak and mm -hmm. uh zwe peak has now been purchased uh by a china-based private equity firm uh so they are now uh changing uh they they zwe peak had built their company up to um i think they said 50 million annually but they sold it, I believe, for $1.5 <laughs> Okay. And this ZB Peak was started by uh, a New Zealand free-range deer farmer who had supplied deer meat to pet food companies. And now he's a billionaire, but sold out to the Chinese private equity firm. And I see this a lot. A lot of these Chinese companies are coming in and buying these companies when they sell out to a company like that, I mean, they're only looking at numbers. I mean, having been through a sale of, of like my veterinary practice, buying and selling businesses, it's just all about the bottom line. It's not about, you know, are you helping pets? Are you helping pets stay healthier? You know, or it has nothing to do with the quality of your products. It's all about the bottom line. And then what happens is they 
come in and like, oh, these products get expensive to produce. So gosh, we could make even more money if we made the products cheaper. And that's exactly what happens. And that sadly will happen um, to ZB Peak at some point. Well, and what they're doing from what I can see is that they're really, really, really pushing the HPP, the high pressure pasteurization in um, the pet food industry. So they know that fresh food is coming on strong. They know that cooked food is coming on strong um, and they're going to HPP it. They're going to high pressure pasteurize it. They're going to say it doesn't change any the nutritional value. It only gets rid of the bacteria. And again, we're getting rid of all the good stuff and it's just going to be substandard food. Like we've seen, I don't get why people cannot get on board with raw. I mean, if you just really look into the narratives, guys, uh, the narratives are crap. The narratives are crap. (laughs) You know, I mean, um, it's, it's, what does mother nature do? It doesn't HPP your food. It doesn't cook your food, right? It's all about real raw food. You just got to feed real food. And, you know, like with your blends, Didi, you, you look at them, they're, they're real food, you know, um, you know, like ZBP, because we were just talking about has always been a really good quality food, but it's, you know, it's pressed into these little pieces of what looks like meat, meat jerky. And if the ingredients are good, that's fine. But what with what if they start you know changing things up they could start slipping things in there and and you would never know it never know it and you know yeah just be so careful where you're getting your information from and ask a lot of questions this whole dcm thing i mean how many dogs i mean i can't tell you how many times i had clients come to me their dog has a heart murmur. They go into the cardiologist. They are feeding raw, and the cardiologist tells, "Oh, you cannot. Your dog has to have grains, and in in their diet to be healthy." So, how many dogs over the last? I don't know how long this has been—five, six years. I don't remember exactly when that all came out about the DCM and and dogs needing grain. But how many dogs were put on unhealthy diets, and now they've just said, "Oh, no, just kidding. We decided that was not not true." You know, and that propaganda, I can guarantee is going to stay out there for years because that's what happens in, in certainly in the veterinary profession. Once that gets ingrained, especially in, you know, um, like a specialty like cardiology, once some propaganda like that gets ingrained, it doesn't just leave just because they're like, oops, no, we were wrong. Sorry. No, they're going to they're going to keep saying that for a long time. And it's really sad because the pets are going to ultimately suffer poor health because they're going to be put on bad diets or just have grain added into their diets just because they need it for a healthy heart right because there's lots of taurine and wheat man they could just you know it's so easy you just take a new batch of vets that are coming out of school every year let's say you want to push a certain diet or you want to push a certain uh drug you just go into the schools and do what you do and 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 you know that let's say that um, you know heart murmurs or whatever so you just figure out you figure out how to sell more stuff by just pushing your propaganda out there it's super easy come on it's so easy they're never ever going to that business couldn't couldn't do what we do dr jason they wouldn't have any business Right. In one of my podcasts, I was telling you how much 
that um, in, in Dr. Brady's book, he was talking about how they decreased their um, vet bills, right? How much money they had decreased their vet bills in these guide dogs by feeding them raw. And they just couldn't do that. It was like, no, that is, we're based on our bottom line. We cannot change it. Um, so we're going to have to keep doing these things that we know, we know are killing pets. We know are causing cancer. We know are causing the itchies, but then we're going to give you the other thing uh, that we also sell to treat that. And it's just, um, we have to get out of that mindset. You and I were talking about before the podcast that, you know, if, if our pet parents could not run to the vet right away, right. Kind of give the pet a day or so to, um, to level out. Um, we were talking about this, this one little pet that, um, had been playing our day with another dog and then became lethargic um and and tell us that story again tell tell our listeners that story mm -hmm. about what what you saw that was happening with the pet parent and the pup and the veterinarians yes yeah, so this dog had a was perfectly healthy raw fed um, buys from raw dog food and company, perfectly healthy dog, played all day with, you know, some other dogs. This was over the holidays and on the way home was just really lethargic. So I thought, well, probably they thought first dog just overdid. Well, the dog wasn't eating and, and um, was started running like an intermittent fever. Um, so they, they took the dog in and they basically found like some enlarged lymph nodes in the abdomen. So to me, that would indicate the dog probably got into something, ate something that threw its system out of whack, maybe something that was a little toxic, you know, who knows. But this was an otherwise young, healthy dog. I would be thinking, give this dog support. If it's not, stops drinking, you know, maybe give it some fluid therapy to help, you know, stabilize. But the body is definitely reacting to something and the fever was sort of cycling up and down. Well, they immediately, they meaning the, uh, the practitioners at the, at the vet clinic, they saw these enlarged lymph nodes. They immediately decided the dog has cancer, just got to have cancer. And, you know, I mean, this is where you just got to use a little common sense. Cancer does not come on this acutely. Um, enlarged lymph nodes don't mean cancer. Enlarged lymph nodes can just be the body doing its job. Now, it's not that we don't have lymphoma and we get large enlarged lymph nodes and um, and that can um, be something more serious, but the, the lymphatics, the lymphatic system, it is a dynamic system. Its job is to detox the body. And so if the lymph nodes get enlarged, yeah, it could just be the body was exposed to something. So the body doing its job fevers are therapeutic um you know to a certain extent we don't have to go super high but fevers do have some benefit in the body and they're a definite indication that the body is dealing with something um, but anyway they wanted to do needle aspirates on these lymph nodes and i strongly recommended against that number one you have enlarged lymph nodes that are already inflamed you stop poking, poking needles in them they're just going to get more inflamed, you're going to make this whole situation probably worse. And, you know, there's all, there's all these different variations of lymphoma these days. And the way that they determine these is they do special staining on the cells. And I, I could about guarantee you that in a case like that, 
they've they've decided this is a cancer dog and they're going to keep looking and they're going to keep poking needles into things and staining things until they get their cancer diagnosis and they'll come up with it because lymphoma is is really tricky there's sometimes a fine line between reactive lymph nodes and reactive uh, lymphocytes which are the cells in the, in the lymph nodes and cancerous ones um, sometimes these cells when they're doing their job they will get really reactive and and uh, and and appear to be dividing rapidly and all these things they, they look at to determine if the cells are cancerous but it's not always that cut and dried and i i think we really need to be taking a step back and just looking at things logically in cases like this are really scary because this particular pet parent was very aware and you know could could see what was going on and she contacted me because she said I think this is kind of overkill and I agreed and and I said I think we you know we talked about just doing some support and giving the dog a little bit of time and see if this you know the condition resolves with more you know, gentle support, not just doing more diagnostics. Um, because how sad would it be? And how many cases, and I think about how many cases out there are like this, where people are afraid and they hear the word cancer and understand that's very scary, but then they sign up for all these tests and then they get this cancer diagnosis. Then all of a sudden you got a young dog and they're recommending chemo and that dog isn't going to live through that. And it could be completely unnecessary. So I think I think choosing like appropriate diagnostic testing is really, really important because conventional medicine is all about naming things. They can't treat unless they have a name for something. That's how they get their treatment protocols. I think we've talked about that before. Um, holistic medicine, we're looking at the whole pet and supporting the whole pet and looking at the whole situation and, and looking at it logically and asking the question, is that diagnostic testing really going to get us any useful information? And a lot of times, again, it's just about money. These big fancy specialty clinics, they get all these fancy, all this fancy equipment. They got to use it to pay for it. So they're, they're going to recommend it. And I bet you they've got the cancer protocols waiting right there too, to, to treat the pet with. So I, I think you have to be really careful. And you know, we've talked about, you know, get it, get another opinion, get another point of view on what's going on. Cause when you're, you're scared because your pet's sick and you're emotional, you aren't going to make good decisions. So, you know, get, find some, find somebody else to ask besides your favorite Facebook group. Oh, right, right. Because you might because you might not get the best information there. <laughs> right. So they're saying once once your dog gets cancer, then your oncologist is the one's gonna start calling all the shots. And they were right. saying that that what you really want to start asking is, you know, how dangerous? This is a good question. How dangerous is this regimen that you're um recommending? What's the likelihood it will actually lengthen, shorten, or kill my dog? If you said, what will happen if I do nothing? If I do nothing, right? Um, but you need to understand what will the quality of my dog's life be during the treatment? Because a lot of people talk about when they go in for um, 
chemotherapy or radiation, right? You're poisoning the dog with the chemotherapy and you are burning the dog with radiotherapy, they say, until death ensues. And a lot of these people just keep going back and keep going back and doing that. And their dog dies all because they think they're going to lengthen the life of the dog. And are they really, can you really lengthen the life of your pet if you're poisoning them and doing radiotherapy? I don't know. Some people right. will say, yes, Dr. Jasek, it's, it's not really been your experience that dogs do well with that, right? No, not at all. I would say they, I would say our longevity results are much better. And I don't, you know, I don't, because every pet is individual. Like I can't give statistics. Like, you know, the oncologist will say, well, if you do nothing, your pet probably has one to three months to live. If we do chemo, it might have three to six months to live, maybe up to a year if, if things go really well. Um, and it's funny, the statistics don't seem to change very much from page, patient to patient. They're kind of canned statistics, um, you know, what I find. When I, I look at a patient and I tell people, I don't know what our results are going to be, but I think it's worth trying. And we'll know more as we get into the treatment. So if we go out three months and the pet's doing really well and still stable, you know, that's a good landmark. We go out six months, even better. If we're out a year, even better. And might the pet eventually succumb to the cancer? Yeah, could. Sometimes they can live with it for years though, because we're supporting the body. So the cancer is not as, as big of an issue. And, and I think, you know, we have amazing results doing those type of protocols. The thing about the chemo statistics are they're going to tell you, yeah, we're going to extend your pet's life X amount of uh, X amount of months. But what they're not telling you is in a lot of cases, it's the chemo that's killing them, not, not the cancer. They're going to say, well, we'll extend your pet's life, but then it's going to die from the cancer anyway. The pets are dying because of the treatment in a lot of cases. Mm. Dr. Ian Billinghurst uh, wrote a good article on this, and he was talking about, you know, when you go in for these treatments, the oncologist is not going to give you good information, typically about dog nutrition. And so he said, don't, you know, don't even ask him because the answer will almost always be ill-informed. And in general, he says, be in your dog's worst interest because your oncologist has little to no training when it comes to the relationship between nutrition and cancer. And he says, uh, the oncologist training is to recommend a program of nutrition based on soluble carbohydrates. And what is that? That is sugar. And that mm -hmm. is a surefire way to encourage cancer growth and metastasis. It actually feeds the cancer. But then you get the information from the oncologist or from the vet that, oh, well, your dog's in an immune compromised position. So now you can't have raw food. I get this all the time. And I, and mm -hmm. I'm, I, I, I'm just baffled at that. I'm like, they do it on the people side as well. We see it all the time. Oh, you're wasting mm -hmm. away, right? So that is the the wasting syndrome. You see that in a lot of cancer patients. Um, and 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 they're just like, eat anything you want to gain weight. And you're like, but why am I going through 
letting you put poison in my body or poison in my pet only to feed the thing that we're trying to take out or kill or prevent. It doesn't make any sense at all. But what would you say about immune compromised dogs? Let's say, you know, that do have cancer and feeding a raw diet. I get that question probably daily because that's what so many people um, hear or they, that's just a common narrative. They either hear it from their vet or it's such a common narrative. You know, they hear it from their friends or family members, or they think it themselves. The whole idea that, that raw food is contaminated with bacteria. And I don't know where this got started. There's like this thing, raw food is just, you know, inherently unsafe. And maybe that's come from how we've been taught to handle food that raw meat, we have to cook your meat or, you know, remember my mom saying, you can't eat cooked meat or you're going to get worms or something, you know, like raw meat was considered to be unsafe. Well, maybe some raw meat is, but if it's coming from a reputable company, like raw dog food and company, where you know, these products are put together well, the ingredients are fresh, they're, they're blended up fresh, they're frozen right away. They're not sitting around where the bacteria can start, start to grow. I mean, what's going to be unsafe about that? You know, it's just another one of these things that somehow got started in people's minds that that raw meat is dangerous. Now, grocery store meat, I will tell people, if you go to the grocery store and, you know, just buy meat there and feed it raw, I I don't recommend that ever. I mean, I like if you're going to do that, lightly cook it or something, because that food is, has been handled, it's been sitting out in the case for God knows how long, handled by who knows how many people, you don't know if they washed their hands after they went to the bathroom, they're assuming that food's going to be cooked. They actually allow more bacteria in meats like that. So I think grocery store meat can be more dangerous. I don't ever recommend feeding that raw, but if you know it's a good quality product that's been processed appropriately, then it's, it's, Still, it's the best thing for the pet because it's a species appropriate fresh food diet. As soon as you start cooking or adding other things in or going with more processed foods, you're depriving the pet of its of the nutrition it needs. And it needs optimal nutrition when it has cancer more than ever. It's 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 more important than ever. So it's there's just this this disconnect out there on that topic. And I when I deal with that question all the time and it's it's really hard to get that way of thinking out of the minds of people and just the minds of of the collective it's it's really strongly ingrained mm-hmm. it's just terrible and you know the other thing that's really ingrained is this um it is a law that we must give your dog a vaccine uh, we have to do this. It's the law. So I think, Dr. Jacek, we should start encouraging our pet parents to ask, can you share that law with me? Because could they come mm-hmm. up with the law? I mean, we're not talking about the rabies, right? The rabies law that says, you know, you're supposed to have your dog vaccinated. But there are 
a lot of clinics out there, a lot of vets out there that just believe that the the dog must be totally up on their vaccination schedule or they can't treat them. And they're using this scare tactic saying it's the law when it is not the law from what I understand from you. It is the clinic's decision. But I think that our pet parents would be well served if they would ask that question. Where is the law that is causing you to do that? So they have to come out and say, well, it's just my clinic, right? It's our clinic's mandate. Right. And clinics, you know, have the choice to make whatever rules they want, but they should be honest about that, in my opinion. Because when you tell people it's it's the law, then what's the assumption? Well, every clinic's going to be the same. So I'm not going to be able to get care. For, I mean, I would make, if I didn't know any different and somebody said, well, there's a law that says your pet has to be vaccinated for me to treat it. Well, then I would assume that every clinic is going to be the same because it's a law and the veterinarians are going to get in trouble. There are no there are no such laws. We are not required to, to do anything. I educate people. Um, I educate people on the pros and cons of, you know, vaccines and mostly the cons. There's way more cons than pros. I don't know if there's any pros anymore but when, it comes to, when it comes to vaccinating, but, um, but it's their choice and it should always be their choice. This is the whole principle about informed consent. And you know, in Colorado, if you read the actual like practice act for veterinarians, it says in there, we should be practicing with informed consent, meaning we are giving our clients full information on what we're giving the, the good and the bad and the potential side effects. And, and I bet you that is hardly ever done. I bet you most veterinarians don't even read the package inserts on the things that they're that they're prescribing they really don't even know in and you know where veterinarians get information about these products is from the pharmaceutical reps and that's also really sad and it's very disheartening to me that vets don't take more time to look into these products that they're giving to their patients and they just believe the pharmaceutical reps who are just walking into the clinic reading a script they're reading a marketing script. They don't even know anything about these products. I know because I used to question them. I used to like make a game out of stump the rep, you know, <laughs> just keep asking them questions until they couldn't answer them anymore. And then they stopped coming. So I don't have to deal with them anymore because they didn't like that. But that's all they have. They all, that's all they have is a script. They are given a marketing script. And, and guess what? These companies, these big giant companies, they are paying, I bet, millions a year uh, to marketing firms. And they are learning exactly what language to use when they walk into a vet clinic to talk to a busy doctor that has five minutes and they're, you know, 30 minutes behind on their appointments. What language is going to be the most effective to get them to use these products? And that's how things are sold. And that is a lot of times how veterinarians start using certain products. They're not looking into them themselves. Um, that's just not, that's not the way that's not the way the profession works. I don't think it works that way in, in human medicine either. And it's, it's, it's really sad, but they get these, they get the, uh, they get their practitioners selling their drugs for them and without even looking into them. And, and if you know that, if you know 
that that's what's going on. I mean, I bet a lot of people assume that they go into the vet and the vet knows these products inside and out and they wouldn't possibly recommend them if they weren't healthy for their pet. It does not work that way. They are just being sold a bill of goods from a sales rep. And that's what, that is what the decision to give these things to your pet is, uh, is based on. And there are no laws. It's all veterinary choice, even for rabies. I mean, yes, there could be some consequences if you get caught and your dog doesn't have a current rabies shot, but that's your choice. That does not come back on the veterinarian. So for a veterinarian to say they're going to get in trouble by the law, if they don't vaccinate your pet, that's just an out and out lie, out and out lie. So what would be the best way to preface that question, whether it's with a new, you're, you're seeking out a new vet or you're talking to your standard uh, vet, what's the best way to preface that and ask them that question? About the law, you mean? Yeah. When they, you know, because they are coming at you and they're saying, look, I can't treat your pet. I can't do this. I can't do that unless I, you know, because it's a law. And I really think that, you know, if we say nothing, we do nothing, nothing will change. And I think that that conversation has to get started. It has to be outed. Um, and again, remember in Dr. Brady's book, he was saying that they deny, 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 deny until they cannot deny anymore. And by that time they really have made a ton of profit. So, um, I, I just think that we need to give our pet parents a way to ask the question and maybe that vet doesn't even know. So you may be helping them to understand what the law really is. I think it could, I think by asking, I think asking questions like that and letting the veterinarian think through it may help open some eyes. And I would ask, oh, well, I wouldn't, you know, somebody said that about that law. Well, I certainly wouldn't want you to get in trouble, but I'd be, I'd be interested to learn more. Uh, Where can I reference that law? Where can I? you know, where can I uh, look it up? Is that a law just in this state or is that true nationwide? Um, you know, who made that law? You know, where where can I find out more about that and see what they tell you? You know, you don't have to be, you know, threatening or anything, but just say, you know, hey, I'd like more information. I sure hate to see you get in trouble. You could even schmooze them and say, oh, I think you're a great vet. I'd really hate to see you get in trouble. Can you tell me where I can find out more information about that law? I'd like to know, you know, what all the ins and outs of this are. And just ask a simple question and see what they say. And I bet you, I bet you they're not going to have an answer. They're not going to know because it's not true. <laughs> it doesn't exist. So they're going to give you some bumbling answer, most likely. Um, but it's, it's like, if you're going to refuse me service, I'd like to know what exactly is is behind that and you might not want to go back to that but but then you know you'd at least have a little more ammunition for the next clinic you go into well and if they say i'll get back to you a lot of times they won't and and pet parents let it go and what i would encourage you to do is to keep going back until you get a definitive answer i cannot find the law to which I would say, so does that mean there isn't a law, right? Again, you come back with the question. It, you can't find it because, well, what, can I ask you what made you think that, right? So that's me. Now I, I might be going a little further, but um, 
But I definitely would ask that question and keep going until you get a definitive answer. It's a, it's a, it's right. just something that we as pet parents need to do. We we don't we do not ask the questions of the professionals. You know, we don't say, "Have you heard about the the mycotoxins and the aflatoxins and how they killed pets and and are you certain that the kibble that you're feeding does not have the aflatoxins, the mycotoxins in it?" We don't ask the question as you're going in for a uh, recommendation on chemo, will this actually kill every cancer cell in my dog if I go down this path? We just don't ask the questions. We don't ask the questions. And I don't know if we don't ask the questions because we don't know the questions to ask, we're afraid to ask, or we don't want the answer. It could be all of the above, depending on the the circumstances. But I think you do need to I think asking questions is a great way to push back without, you know, if, I mean, I understand and people get really frustrated. I, I would just get, I would have a hard time just not getting, you know, flat out angry in these circumstances. You're wanting to just get your pet treated. You just want to get help for your pet and you keep kind of running into this brick wall. But if you can keep probing and, and asking, you know, these, they recommend all these kibble diets. They'll say, oh, well, well, law's not safe. Like, well, we know a lot more about the sourcing of like raw blends like yours than we do about any kibble. Like if you ask them, well, how do you know where, where did the ingredients come from in this kibble? What, you know, were they raised humanely? Were they, or, you know, pumped up with a bunch of antibiotics and other toxins before they were slaughtered. You know, they don't know any of that, any of that. Yet they'll condemn the raw food for saying it's unhealthy and it's going to kill your pet. And they don't have any clue where the ingredients in those kibbles are coming from. You know, it makes, it makes no sense when you really break it down. Well, I, and, and I would say, well, who, who actually owns that company? Who actually owns that company of that food that you're recommending? Is it uh, somebody in China? It, it's it's just nuts. I think if we ask those questions, we could begin to maybe break that spell. I don't know, but I think it's it's we've got to ask that questions that question for our dog. You know, as in Dogs Naturally, they put out an article on uh, November of 2022, and they said, "Look, if you feed your dog kibble." Any kibble, any kibble, and we're talking about prescription, any kibble, it says your dog is almost certainly eating chemical herbicides or pesticides, Mm -hmm. right? Because those kibbles contain most often corn, soy, canola, or alfalfa, uh, which are grown with herbicides and pesticides. Uh, it, It probably even has oats, wheat, legumes. I mean, everything that I see has oats, wheats, uh, legumes. And uh, those are harvested by using glyphosate as a desiccant. And that's why you get all of these pesticides in dog food. So just right there, that would be a great question to ask as you are being presented a prescription diet for whatever reason. We've never seen, Dr. Jasek, when a dog goes in for 
they're overweight or they have urinary tract uh, issues or uh, kidney or liver issues, that any of those prescription foods are good for those organs? Those are the questions I would start asking. And you can be kind again, like you said, um, but it's kind of funny, the stuff that that is being told out there and they're not getting questioned on it. Your first step in providing your dog a healthy, happy life is to get a second opinion. All right, get a second opinion. This is what Dr. Judy Jasek is fabulous at because now she is doing telemedicine and she's able to talk with many, many pet parents. She's been doing this, what, 35 years um, lots of information, always get a second opinion, especially from someone who is not in the box, not in the group, not beholden to a clinic. And, and, and you can get a, um, I mean, think about this, Dr. Jason, you are free to think you are free to do something different because you are not tied to that industry in that way anymore. You're just not. I think too that you know what's what's lost what I do what's makes my approach different or why my approach is different is I've never stopped observing what's right in front of me and I think that's a big difference I think that's why getting different viewpoints is important because a lot of my knowledge has come just from observing patients what do I see what patterns do I see look I see all these pets these symptoms are showing up after the vaccines gee maybe the vaccines have something to do with that so I look at patterns and I look at my patients whereas I think that in conventional medicine anymore they're just looking at the the numbers on their diagnostic tests or whatever the testing they're they're doing and there's one size fits all for these conditions. They're not looking at their pets. They're not trusting their own observations in the clinic. That I think has been kind of squashed by big pharma and, and big food companies and these big conglomerates. They don't want vets thinking. They don't want vets looking at or, or acknowledging their own observations and making that true. You know, unless there's a research study or there's a paper written, it's not valid. I might've seen it 20 times in my clinic, but it's not valid unless I can read the research paper. So it's a different way of, of looking at things. And I think that's what vets need to get back to is trusting what they're seeing. They're not just like even making assumptions or seeing it with their own eyes in their clinic and acknowledging that as as real but that is not that is not happening anymore it's just they're just they got their protocols and and their one size fits all treatments and that's you know sadly the way medicine has been been progressing yeah and and again if you talk to any vet they will tell you that they are on a major time crunch right try to sit in there and talk to them for 30 minutes i had a vet one time and i i'm i'm not blaming them but uh, they based how, uh, if you went over the 15 minutes, they literally started a clock and you paid a no dollar. Kidding. No, no kidding. This was up here in Evergreen. And she was, a, she was more on the holistic side. She since sold out. I don't know where she went, but she would do that. She would say, look, here's the time you get. I'm happy to sit here and talk to you, but I'm starting the clock. 
And it was a dollar a minute after that. Wow. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, I get a lot of phone calls and, um, you know, you can't, you can't spend an hour with every single person, um, every minute of the day, right. Because you would be on the phone all day long, but yeah. So I get, so it, it, my point to that is, um, how much can they really tell you? How much can you really learn in that 15 minute session with your vet? Right. They've just, that's yeah. why they don't, that's why they, they just don't have time to do the work, to do the studies, um, to look at anything different like you do. They don't, they don't have the time to do it. If we don't do anything, nothing will change. So at least start asking questions. You know, um, I think that's a great place to start because otherwise, if you just go, if you just go along, cause you're afraid and, oh, I just, it's just one more set of vaccines. I just, and I just really need to get my pet taken care of. And I don't have time to, you know, go, go find another clinic. I get it. I get that it's inconvenient, but if you want to see things change, if you're going to complain about what's going on in the profession, you, you have to start pushing back. Yeah. Yep. You do. And the, um, the best way to get the biggest bang for your buck is get your questions and get over to ahavet.com. That's Dr. Judy Jasek. She'll give you a second opinion, uh, give you a different perspective, and then you can go back and, and talk uh, to your vet as well if you so desire. Get over to ahavet.com. Also, go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com. If you have questions for the podcast, certainly you can uh, send your questions to us. We'll be glad to answer those here. That way you can get an idea. Uh, if you want to work further with Dr. Judy Jasek, I always think that's great, right? If they send us your questions, see what she has to say. And you're like, I like her. I like her a lot. She's out of the box. Gave me something new to think about. I'm going to go work with her further. Uh, so send your questions over here to info at rawdogfoodandco.com. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet today. Super easy. Doesn't matter where you start, but if you are confused or you're overwhelmed, hit that I'm overwhelmed button. We will give you some recommendations because here at Raw Dog Food and Company, your pet's health is our business. And friends, don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.